0: You're listening to The Only Constant, a podcast about active hope. In today's conversation, we spoke with Casey Copeland. Casey is ardently passionate about dance and its inherent power to tell captivating stories through movement. She has a vision to revolutionize the dance industry by focusing on injury prevention and advocating for mental health and resilience among dancers.
1: There has to be a way to train for the mental rigors of what performers have to go through because the dance world is strenuous. The performing arts are strenuous. Definitely one of the things I've learned about resilience is that it it looks different for different people and it looks different at different points in time.
0: Casey's passion is fueled by the understanding that resilience is not a static state, but a skill that one hones over time. Her goal is to help dancers realize that resilience can take many forms, and sometimes it's about knowing when to rest and give yourself time. Hopefully you find some hope today. Hello everybody and thank you so much for listening today and thank you for coming on today. Let's start with your name and your pronouns.
1: Uh, My name is Casey Copeland and I go by she, her.
0: Okay, sweet. And before coming on today, first of all, thank you so much. Seriously, this is awesome. Yes. Um, Before you came on today, you sent us a list of passions. I will say you elaborated (laughs) and I loved it. It was great. Um, And the number one on that list was different from what we're going to start out with today. But I think that the The list that we chose is going to be wonderful. And it starts out with just your general passion for dance. And you have two degrees in dance? Yes. Okay.
1: I got my BFA in dance from the School of Dance at Florida State. Um, And then I did our pathway program, which goes from BFA to MA in five years. So I have now spent... Five years in school. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you have two... I mean, you have a master's degree already. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing.
1: Um, so, yeah. I started dancing when I was like four or five-ish. Wow. And I actually started out as a gymnast and then ended up injured. And my mom put me in a lower impact sport, which <laughs> turned out to be a total lie. Um, but... Uh, and joke was kind of on her because I fell in love with it from there.
0: For real. Yeah. For real. And, I mean, you, like, teach it and everything now, which yes. we'll get into. Um, but in terms of your, like, passion for dance, before we get into the nitty-gritty of all the wonderful stuff that you've sent us today, I just want to know some of the main things that draw you to dance before we just dive in. I would love for people to get, to, uh, get a better idea of who you are. You know okay. what I mean?
1: Um Well, I'm incredibly ADHD, and um, <laughs> and that will become – horribly apparent as we continue today (laughs) Uh, but movement is essential for me like I can't not move I'm going to be moving this whole time okay um and so for me it feels like dance is very much part of what keeps me sane um yeah if I if I don't move in a day I have trouble sleeping um like yeah. Hmm. It's a good time. Um, <laughs> but also just the the feeling of moving your body through space and having a level of control and mastery over what's happening um, is really satisfying. And, mm. you know, getting to communicate nonverbally and and have somebody react to that like oh I I didn't say a word but you know the emotion that that I was expressing or you related to the emotion that I was expressing mm. is also very satisfying.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I just wanted to start out with that <laughs> because once again I feel like that is a unique perspective that will allow people to get a better understanding of who you are before we really dive in because I really want to know about dance science. Yes. There's a science behind dance.
1: Yes, and those okay. are those are two words that don't commonly go together. Yeah. Um, Dance medicine and science is a whole subsection of the dance field, and if you think of sports medicine and science, it runs on kind of a parallel track. Like, as a dancer, your body is your instrument, and at an elite level, you're working it all of the time, and you're pushing it to the boundaries of what it can actually accomplish. And as dancers, we test those boundaries so much that often we break those boundaries, and then we're like, oh, I'm in pain now. Mm-hmm. Um and, and also, you know, especially the ballet world um, has not always, like, th- there's nothing about ballet that is anatomically normal at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to figure out how can we train your instrument, how can we train your body to accomplish the demands of this particular form, knowing that the demands of this particular form are ridiculous <laughs> um, <laughs> to put it frankly yes yeah i mean it's like oh yeah we're gonna you're gonna turn out your legs and put all your body weight over two square inches yeah that that makes perfect sense yeah, that, yeah. and then turn and then turn multiple times <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah 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 wow so you, you said something cool before which i think kind of relates to what you're saying now which is like you switched from gymnastics to dancing yes and you were like it's it's a lie that dancing is a low-impact sport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to maybe explain that a little bit?
1: Um, I mean, Grand Allegro and Petite Allegro are a whole... Th- I hate Petite Allegro. It's little jumps. It's just like it's straight cardio, and I hate <laughs> it. Um, But, you know, there's a lot... There's impact that goes into dance. Obviously, in gymnastics, you have... Like, you're you're flipping onto your hands and feet. So, mm. um, but... Ideally, dance floors are sprung. There's like some amount of give to the floor, but not a lot. And often they're not,
3: mm. Um, mm. which
1: puts a lot. Like you're absorbing the shock. Dancers aren't wearing shoes, and so th- when you're jumping repeatedly, you're running the same dance over and over again. The same five minutes of choreography, um, you know, and that's a short piece. Mm. Then it, you end up with a lot of repetitive stress. Um, to and lower extremity injuries and dancers like knee down are particularly common
3: yeah
0: yeah okay Mm. well i mean i also i forget who it was honestly it's probably better i don't mention their name anyway um but they said that it's like if you really want to get an athlete like a football player or something to like be conditioned put them in a ballet class (laughs) see how they feel fsu (laughs) did
1: do that for a while really yeah it was a thing that they did yep Okay. Yep, and where the football players were required to take, like, a non-major dance class or something.
0: That's awesome,
1: though. I don't know if they still do it anymore. I have not had any football Probably players not. in my non-major dance class. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So,
0: but, like, but is yeah. that a thing, though? I mean, because I know just from my – I had very little experience with ballet, some of which was with you. <laughs> Thanks for that, by the way. Um, but I just – I remember feeling as if – just like you said, I mean, this feels wrong.
1: Right. Right? Yes. Yeah. And – and the, they've done, like, studies scanning dancers' brains while they're dancing. Um, so, like, you know, the whole, all the nodes and all the yeah. things. And they're watching their brains light up. And the, the entire brain lights up. So it's more than just you're exercising, you're using your memory, your, um, your short-term and long-term memory, muscle memory, mm. um, all of the... All of the areas of your brain that light up during artistic expression also Mm. do. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, this actually leads directly into the next thing right next to dance science, which was injury prevention. Yes. Okay. And you said that dancers, particularly, particularly... right? (laughs) From their knee down, get a lot of injuries. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. So like, I mean, as somebody who studied dance science, I got really interested in kinesiology because that's a required class for dancers in the BFA dance program. Um, like I know nothing about like the elbow to the, to the hand, like nothing. I don't, I can't tell you the bones. Like, yeah, there's some metacarpals in there. (laughs) Um, but I can tell you a lot about the anatomy of the lower leg because that's one of the things that makes dance science unique from uh, sports medicine is that sports medicine focus a lot on the shoulder girdle. Um, you know, Baseball players, basketball players, True. football players, all of the throwing mechanics, not super relevant for dancers, but all of the tiny little intrinsic muscles of the feet that get used as you roll down into the floor or up off a of point mm. are very relevant. Mm. um and so injury prevention for dancers um we do a lot of injury screening so there's tests that have been developed that are like okay so if you're likely to get injured this is probably where you're lacking in hamstring strength you're lacking in calf muscle endurance maybe you're not not strong in that area but if you can't make it to 25 releves and that's the necessary test for a um professional dancer
2: what is a releve
1: uh, Relevé means to rise, so when you rise up onto the balls of your feet.
2: Oh, okay. So it's yep. basically
0: like you're,
1: you're like you're your doing tippy-toes.
0: calf. Uh, what are those? Like calf, calf raises. raises. Yeah, calf yeah, raises. All yeah. the time.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Dang. All the time.
0: And how do, how do you prevent injury?
1: Um, a lot of it has to do with maximizing the efficiency of your alignment. Okay. So if you can stack your bones most effectively over one another, then they'll ab- absorb shock properly. They'll be aligned and, and track properly. So, like, yeah, you can land a crazy jump and have your knee swerve to the side and back again enough times that eventually your kneecap decides to go, Ah, oh, maybe we should just stay, actually, and, and not go with the rest of the knee. Yeah, I think we'll do that today. Oh, my God. And that's God. what we call <laughs> patellar <laughs> um, oh. so a patellar subluxation. So a lot of it has to do oh, with... So gross. with.
0: gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining the knee just not moving and the rest of the body is like
3: twisting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. Yeah. In the
1: school of dance last year, we had five or six major knee injuries, several of which were patellar subluxations. Oh. So is
2: that like ending? You can't dance anymore? Oh, no.
1: No, no. okay. No. Um, one of our dancers had to have surgery um, to reconstruct a ligament that was torn when she dislocated her knee um, the other one actually is, is fully back. Um, yeah. One of the freshmen sublux Disney in the audition, it's like the fourth or five time, fourth or fifth time that it's happened. Um, which normally after your third strike, you're out, like you, you end up with surgery, but 18 year old guys grow. He's young. He's great. He's yeah. A, yeah. He's just young. Yeah. And so. He's just bouncing right back. Yep. It's nothing, man. Yep.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: Yep. It makes me think about, cause <laughs> dancing is such an old art form yeah and it makes me think about how people i guess back in the day it just broke something and that was probably kind that, of it yeah that,
1: that pretty much was it and if you're especially you know in the in the ballet world eurocentric dance like uh, for a long time the rule of thumb was if you're broken then you just weren't meant for it um oh, oh, and wow. And people who are really passionate about dance, and we're like, no, we we want to continue, and we feel like there must be a way to properly train for this. Maybe we can change some of these traditions that are harmful to our bodies. So, like, you still run across teachers who think it like your feet should be totally flat out in first or fifth position, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that that's humanly impossible for 95% of human beings on the planet. Um and so yeah. now we're not all ducks. No. No. Walking like ducks. <laughs> Seriously though, yeah. crazy man. Yeah. man. yeah. And so, you know, that kind of goes back into the the injury prevention and so it went from people who were injured to okay, how do we keep this from happening to other people.
3: Mm. Um okay.
1: and that over time also started to change some of the Ways we teach dance, ways we talk about the body, ways we even think about teaching dance mm. um, so that it's far more efficient from an anatomical perspective, um, but also so it's a lot safer for the dancers themselves.
2: Wow, what a concept. Right? Being safe while right. you do what you love. That's crazy. Amazing. <laughs> so I do have two questions for you. Okay. Um, not, com- not explicitly related to dance science, but you kind of mentioned the brain. I'm sure there's like psychological things about dance as well. Yep. So first question is, in your opinion, what is it about dance that you think makes it? Which what's different about from other art forms?
1: I think the most obvious thing is that it's ephemeral. Like there's. And I mean, one could argue that pretty much all art is ephemeral, like you can't get back the moment that you experience Mm -hmm. an art piece. But even with documentation, even with filming a dance, like it's not the same. I mean, you perform, it's kind of the same deal with theater, like they're both even a documentation of the performance is not the performance itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think what captures a lot of people's attention is the body in motion but it's also the fact that like this moment in time where this dancer is doing this thing is never going to exist again
2: Mm. i love that because painting is painting sort of like lasting you know right Mm -hmm. at least
1: in in theory although uh there was a they like x-rayed van gogh's paintings and he layered so much oil paint on so quickly that actually the under layers of them haven't dried Whoa. And they're, they're sh- slowly shifting over time. Anyway, yeah. That's. Shut up. Crazy. For real? <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's wow. So yeah. they're going to
2: just fall off one day? We do no, have to but, get on this no, tangent, but, but, but that's crazy. Starry,
1: starry Night may not look the same in 100 years as it does right now.
2: That's kind of cool. That's yep. really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so second question. Okay. So you did kind of answer what I was going to ask next, but what are some personal experiences you've had from people watching or maybe patrons of dance like what do people seem to take from it
1: i mean i it probably depends on you know if you're working if you're working abstractly or you're working with narrative i work a lot with narrative and i direct a pretty small studio but we like tell story ballets and so um a lot of what i've gotten is people relating to the story people getting it which means i did my job effectively as a choreographer it means the dancer did their job effectively as a dancer Mm -hmm. um in that you know they conveyed something that a that a person in the audience connected with Mm. um yeah and and that to me as somebody who likes to work with narrative not that i don't like abstraction that's that's all great but i enjoy working with at least loose narrative um and especially for like working with a population that isn't super familiar with the arts and isn't super familiar with dance in general, um, that feels very satisfying mm. for me um, to hear, like, a grandparent of a kid who just came to watch this show because their grandchild is in the show be like, wow. You know, like, I didn't expect to cry. Um, oh, or, or, wow. I, or I didn't expect to have such a strong emotional reaction. Um, or even when people are like, oh, I really liked the piece particularly for a person who doesn't have as much exposure to dance um you know that's or the the piece was like unsettling and i can't figure out why like that's also satisfying is like if that was the intention that i set out um then i then i've done what i wanted to do
3: Mm. Gotcha. i don't know if that answered your question oh yeah
0: no yeah and that makes me First of all, the point that you just made about like to a po- like performing to a population or presenting a piece to a population that might not be super familiar with dance, yeah, I feel like it's becoming more niche as time goes on.
1: Dance is becoming more niche. I mean, it yeah. feels
0: that way. I mean, yeah. obviously, the fact that it's an art form, you can get a degree in it. It's less niche than it was, maybe.
2: But well, you make a good point because you know, I mean, I'm thinking 1700s, 1600s, right. whatever. Like people would go to the ballet.
1: Right. That doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. No. Yeah, I feel yeah. like
2: the appreciation for it has
0: changed. Yes. I'm not going to put any other adjective on yeah. it um, or whatever you say that grammatically. Um, but I do feel like the appreciation for it should increase because the amount of credit hours necessary to get a BFA and dance <laughs> from FSU. Seriously, 91 credit hour program and we're second only to an engineering degree. Yep. Hmm like the amount yeah. of time that it takes to become a dancer is just at FSU at FSU specifically is just yeah. bananas to yeah. me
1: and that's that's not counting all of the hours leading up to that point because you have to audition to even get in and so like there's um i really should remember the name of the guy who count who coined the like 10,000 hour like it takes
2: the ma- to become right, a master to become a master of something mm.
1: most dancers have hit that by the time they're 12 because i start at like four
2: so to be a master in dance it's more like one hundred thousand hours
1: yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i mean one of the things i that does make me passionate about dance that i do love and i this is true of any field but there there's no glass ceiling like there's no point where you've made it or there's not something to improve on like uh, on one hand you're like okay well there's There's never a point to be totally satisfied with it, but there's always something to learn and explore and discover. And I think actually part of becoming a master is realizing that you are still a student. Mm. You're always a student of the form.
0: Humility. Wow. (laughs) Another great concept. Um, Real quick, I know you want to ask something, but I do want to make sure because we've already touched on it naturally. You are... (laughs) I would say a master. You have a master's (laughs) degree. (laughs) But I wanna know how you go about teaching dance, the different uh, teaching practices that you incorporate into your own.
1: I mean, a lot of it has to do with that injury prevention part of it. Um, Like, I was very fortunate in that I had pretty good teachers growing up um, who were pretty anatomically aware, but like, I was still told to force my turnout. There were definitely alignment habits that I had that were just like all kinds of wonky. Um, Hmm. And so, you know, regardless of whether a person wants to be professional or not, um, because I teach a bunch of high schoolers for the most part, um, is do you you know how to move your body safely? Do you know what good alignment looks like for another person? Do you know what it feels like in your own body? Um, So definitely teaching with a dance science lens um, Hmm. is something that, I try to do, I talk about the anatomy with the kids. You know, pull up, I wish I had a skeleton. I don't. We have one in the School of Dance. His name is Arnold. He's great. Um, but, Where's Arnold when you need him? Right. But he's named after the uh, Magic School Bus character. Like, I knew I should have stayed home today. Um, but yeah, you know, pulling up pictures of like, this is the psoas muscle and it is the most efficient hip flexor. So how can we try to find that in our own bodies given that it's a super deep muscle? Um, mm-hmm. So that, you know, ideally, information disseminates naturally. Like if I, it took me, you know, however many years to get these degrees to understand this about my alignment. But if I'd known that when I was 13, I wouldn't have formed some of the bad habits that I had to unlearn before I could relearn good Mm -hmm. movement habits. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if I can instill that a little sooner, that then when those kids, if they teach dance, that's a natural part of their training because we teach how our teachers are taught. Or we teach how we were taught for the mm-hmm. most part. Yes. Unless we're making an intentional choice to not. Yes. Um,
0: <laughs> I'm going to do the opposite of what that person told yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm going to do the opposite of what this person did. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, trying to, to role model that for them. So it's just a natural part of their dance education that they don't have to think that hard about. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of research done by a lot of other people that then got disseminated to me. Like, it, you know, it's taken... 50 years for the field of dance science to get where it is right now.
0: Yeah. Wow. So it's still a, it's a
2: fairly modern
0: invention. It is. Invention. Yeah.
1: Definitely.
2: Wow. Sounds yeah. like a necessary modern invention.
1: Also true. For real. Yes.
2: Well, that's cool. So we're almost done with the first half here. I'd love to ask you this question, which is, we're, I think we're talking about more uh, traditional dance, Throughout this conversation, like ballet, and I don't even know what the other forms of traditional dance are. Yeah, but, and you know, do you have experience doing more like I don't know, like hip-hop. modern hip hop dancing?
1: Right. Yeah. Non Eurocentric, <laughs> sure. Forms. Yeah, that's
2: what we call it. Yeah. Okay, non Eurocentric dance forms. Um, so does this? I'm guessing this the dance science applies to all that, and um.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. you you bring up a great point because it's, it's a conversation that's being had in the dance science field right now of oh. the needs of flamenco dancers are not the same as the needs of ballet dancers. And when we say dance, it shouldn't automatically assume ballet. Mm. Um, because our, dance is a really big
0: umbrella. Oh,
1: yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And, you yeah. Know, and is also different than, than hip hop. You know, we're like some of that shoulder girdle stuff that we left behind from sports medicine. Yeah, maybe we should bring that back in here, actually, because for you know people who are breaking or spending a lot of time weight bearing on their hands that applies to modern dancers that applies to contemporary dancers hip-hop for people who are doing ballroom who are leading a lot you know develop a lot of those same muscular imbalances that say a baseball player develops um Mm. and so you know how are we correcting the imbalances how are we trying to train both sides of the body equally if that's necessary um so i mean yes i i did not really before I came to FSU and FSU has done a very good job of, of taking my ballet box and going smash um, <laughs> there's other things there, there's other things and I I joke that I went into the school of dance being a bunhead, which is a bit of a derogatory term for somebody who only does ballet um <laughs> and uh and and I came out learning how to roll on the floor um so awesome. and and drop my weight and do modern yeah. and had to take West African classes um, as part of the curriculum, and mm. all of that has made me a more well-rounded dancer. Like I, as a, I know I'm a dancer at this point. I'm like I'm not a ballet dancer and I'm not a contemporary dancer. I'm just I'm a dancer. dancer. You
0: are the umbrella.
1: <laughs> no, oh, not quite. <laughs> I I'm, I'm the umbrella of contemporary concert dance as it exists in the academic crowd
0: <laughs> look on your face for like a solid two seconds like, of trying to figure out what I was saying <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> what Caleb um, well I if I would love to end this half on this I want to know some advice that you give someone in day to day life they're not a dancer but they have problems with their alignment maybe yeah how do you, you have the best posture in the world. I don't know if you know that, but I'm telling you that oh, now, okay. <laughs> Casey I'm Copeland. Like, hmm, maybe I need to work on my forehead. But <laughs> that's but seriously though. Yeah. Like, what do you? What if somebody just like walks and they're in pain when they walk? Like, what's some, How can they prevent that?
1: And I mean that that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think actually the number one piece of advice I would give is be aware of the action of gravity. What does gravity want your body to naturally do? And that mm. happens at every joint in your body. Um, you know, at the, especially in the like computer age, it's this. Mm. And it's this. The craning. Yeah.
0: The rolling forward with the shoulders <laughs> right. and everything. Yeah.
1: Yep. Um, which, you know, if you've ever had upper back tightness and neck spasms, it's probably because of this right here.
0: Mm. Me, me on my phone in a really terrible position trying and to like, like, oh, sure, win sure, sure. whatever right. I'm playing. And, and yeah. I mean, I, I do the yeah.
1: same thing all the time. I just happen to be like, oh, I need to stretch my pecs. Okay. Just... Um, <laughs> and then you
2: know how to do it properly. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: it's almost worse when you know what you should do because then you're just like blatantly ignoring your own good advice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I think the number one thing I would give is is be aware of the the action of gravity and what can you do so that your body feels stacked on top of one another where do you have to shift your weight um and i mean you're gonna look kind of stupid but play around with that a little bit Hmm. and see oh oh i do actually feel it feels effortless to stand here like this Hmm. um and that's because my bones are stacked the way that they're supposed to be stacked so my muscles can go oh okay we don't we can take a break, actually, mm. for a minute. We don't have to work that hard.
0: Literally relying on the frame of the body. Yes. Your
2: bones. Yep. Okay, yep. sweet. One more question before we go. Okay. You're going to go to a party. There's going to be some dancing. Do you want to dance? Or have you been dancing all day so you don't want to dance?
1: <laughs> um, There are <laughs> definitely times where that happens. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, God. And it's even worse because because when people know you're a dancer at they're a party, like, they're like, "Oh it. my gosh, show us a move!" And I'm like, "I'm so tired." Yeah. Um, yeah. So where it's like you know, it's it's your it's your literal job, it's your occupation. Um, you don't necessarily like want It's not a party trick for me. At the same time, it's really fun to go with a group of dancers. Um, and
2: then just blow everybody away yeah
1: that's that's a good time (laughs) that's a good time awesome yeah
2: okay Okay, sweet well we'll be right back (laughs) we'd like to take a second to shout out our monthly patrons thank you to Aaron B Christina S Corbin G Dan W mimi s kareem a and luciano b for their continuous support of the podcast everything we do on this show wouldn't be possible without the generous support of listeners like you consider joining us on patreon where for just one dollar a month you can support the podcast and help us even more in the conversation about active hope now back to the
3: episode
0: Hello, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the Patreon ad. Gets better every time, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, we're going to open up, open up this second half with your passion for mental health and resilience.
3: Okay.
1: Go ahead. So I, I did a whole master's thesis on this related to dance, but my passion for mental health goes a lot deeper and started a lot younger than that. Um, so when I was six months old, my mom had a psychotic break. And she ended up institutionalized for about six weeks. And it was largely due to untreated major depressive disorder and panic disorder. And also having a newborn and all of the hormones that go with that. Mm. Combined with being badly tapered off of prednisone because she's uh, severely asthmatic and also has really bad eczema. And so, like, it was a whole can of worms. And honestly, after talking to her therapist, you couldn't possibly have come out of everything that she came out of with all of those factors and not have had a psychotic break. Um, Mm. But my parents did a really fantastic job taking a very dark point in their lives and using it to bring awareness to my family. Um, And, you know, they could have kind of hidden that away and been like, oh, yeah, no, your mom's fine. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Mm. But they did not do that. And so from the time I was like six, you know, old enough to remember really, Um, you know, my dad would come home from work and he would be like, on a scale of one to 10, how's your mom doing today?
3: Hmm. And I'd be
1: like, "Mm, she's like a seven.
3: Hmm.
1: And he'd be like, great, okay. And because he couldn't be home all day with her and um, my parents waited to have another child until I was five. Um and so when I was like 5 6 is is when that kind of started because that's when dad, you were helping. My my <laughs> dad was like, "Oh, let, yeah, let's check in since, you know, kid number 1 had some consequences, let's check in after mm. kid number 2." Um and and they you know, so mental health was always a conversation in my family and not everyone has grown up that way at, at all. all. Um
0: Definitely not.
1: Yeah. And so when I got to college, really um I started to realize that not everyone had grown up that way. Um, not everyone was super comfy being like, oh, yeah, haha, I'm ADHD, and, you know, moving on. Um,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I was like, oh, okay, okay. So we've there's there's some stigma around this that I didn't grow up with, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the dance world. And, you know, I just kind of started to realize, like, oh, like, that person is anxious and didn't really know why I knew that, um until I started to realize I, I know that person is anxious because they're acting the same way my mom does. Mm. Um, and, and you internalize symptoms, really. Um, and so they just become kind of intuitive to you after a point when you've lived with someone who has a chronic um, mental health disorder disorder. Um, and my mom's medicated, and she's totally fine, and she's been totally oh, fine. Oh, it's great to hear. Yeah. Good, <laughs> she's, good, I forget that part of the story sometimes, and she's like, baby, I don't care if you tell my story, but please make sure people know I'm not, like, a nutcase now. Um, <laughs> and, um... We love you, Mrs. Copeland. <laughs> so, you know, she, she made it a point to make sure that that was a conversation, um... And I remember being pretty young and looking, and being sad because she was sad, and you know, being too young to really understand what depression is. And I like, tried to do something that made her happy, and she just kind of had a lackluster, you know, kind of apathetic reaction to it. Yeah. And I started crying, and she was like, well, why are you crying? And I was like, because I tried to make you happy, and you're not happy. And she looked at me, and I will never forget this, and said, it is never your job to make someone else happy and facts she could have done a lot of other things than that um and that stayed with me but at the same time you know I realized that the dance world was in desperate desperate need of mental health everything Hmm. um you know a lot of people think of dancers you know you think of black swan and that's like the the schizophrenic eating disorder like all kinds of craziness and that is exaggerated, um, okay. but for sure. Okay. Um, but, you know, eating disorders do exist. And there's a, because of the the natural cycles of a performance season, theater deals with this too. Um, you know, it mimics bipolar disorder where you have these really high intensity periods where you're expending all of this emotion and you're on a high and then you have a crash after. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, there's a lot of self-medication in the dance world, um, and...
0: The arts, y- Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Um,
1: and, uh, so I, I started to really be interested in that, and then COVID happened, and the entire world shut down, and I was like, oh, I feel like we need this more than ever, and I was in the in-between year of, like, I have to decide what my master's thesis is going to be about, and, um... I read this little fantasy book by a fantasy author named Patrick Rothfuss. Um, and I hadn't read any of his other work, which I now have. But uh, I started with this one. And uh, it was called The Slow Regard of Silent Things. And it was a fantasy lens, like a little character study on this young woman who had severe anxiety and OCD. But it was, it was done through a fantasy storytelling lens and he was giving this type of character a voice Um, and that I like all the it felt like all the pieces clicked at one time and I was like I need to do my project on mental health and then I had no idea what that looked like and I ended up doing a bunch of research and realizing that there it was an under-researched and still is under-researched portion of the dance science field Um, and there are some people doing it and I ended up Thankfully, actually, through COVID, because everybody was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll have a Zoom meeting. I'm not doing anything else, but twiddling my thumbs. um, (laughs) Ended up having some Zoom meetings with a psychotherapist who works with dancers over in the U.K. um, And a woman named, his name is Terry Hyde. um, And a woman in the U.S. in uh, Pittsburgh doing research on mental health and dancers and her name is Kathleen Gaines. Mm. And um and then you know just kind of read what research there was and was like okay I feel like I feel like we can we can do something with this and ended up with an empirical research project um, but that was not where it started. <laughs> wow, um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. That re- I mean like really it and real. the amount of initiative that that took on your part it's huge. It seems like nobody was really like itching to get that done. You know what I mean? And you just kind of jumped in.
1: I was like, this seems important. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So and have you seen any fruits of your labor?
1: I have. I've been very fortunate. Um, So I've I ended up with a lot of help and mentorship from my mentor, um, Dr. Tom Welsh, who's A huge giant in the dance science field anyway and one of his colleagues dr john bailey um both of them were on my thesis committee um but dr bailey is a behavioral psychologist actually so is tom um but he does dance science now um so Hmm. they uh really helped with the research development part of it but um i did the study once um during my uh last year of grad school and um selected a few behaviors that were related to mental health um, that were observable in a dance class setting so they were related to they they were just kind of catch-alls like one of them was avoiding eye contact with the instructor not really projecting through the eyes not using the face Um, so limiting eye contact was one behavior Um, the second one I'm getting to the an- the answer to your question, no, I promise. Yeah. This is just a long one- way to get there. Um, <laughs> and the, the second one was um, blanking on choreography. So, like, you're doing a piece of choreography and you, like, freeze. Um, in the sports psychology world, they call that choking. Mm-hmm. Dancers don't really choke, but, you know, you forget your step or you trip and you have that, like, your reaction to the jolt of adrenaline is, ah. Like, oh, shit, just- what's next? Right, right. Yeah. And... That of course is not an ideal reaction to have on a stage. Um, And then the last one was self disapproval. Um, So say you think you messed something up and I say that intentionally, think you messed something up. Um, You make a face or you shrug or you utter an expletive or you have some other sort of very obvious sign of self disapproval. Um, So I worked with three sophomores and one freshman um the first time I did the study and we saw a decrease in all of those behaviors by an average about 50 percent um by the time we got to the end of the study and hey. we, we were yeah it was it was really exciting I mean I mean I had no idea that it was going to happen I was like we're gonna try this then we're gonna see if it works um and we went through like a six-week intervention training period I've learned to call it training because intervention sounds scary to, <laughs> <laughs> to people um but in the research world, it's an intervention. And, um, that, uh, British psychotherapist over COVID developed an application, um, that provided mental health resources to dancers. And I ended up being a pilot tester for it. And I was like, Hey, this is really great. I've learned some things about myself. I think it would be awesome as an intervention. And of course he was happy to get his app researched. And, um, so we would just meet once a week and I would work through the app material with them and be like, okay, so like, this is the article on depression we just read. What's resonating with you? What's feeling relevant to your life? Um, you know, what are some strategies that this article points to? And he's a qualified mental health professional, although I'm not. So it gave me a way to talk about these things without having to have a master's degree in psychology, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um But getting to see the dancers work and incrementally change the way they thought about themselves um, was really exciting.
3: Mm,
0: That's awesome. It really is awesome. And just to speak to how passionate you are about mental health and resilience, (laughs) I was supposed to be Flynn Ryder in a show that you did with your studio. Yeah. And... I would love to know how that went. Did it go well? It went fantastically. Yes. Yes. That's music to my ears. Yes. Um, something kind of intense happened in my life yeah. during the rehearsal process. And I was transparent with you about how I felt. And it was the first time I had to do that in my life where I just yeah. basically was like, I can't perform. Yeah. Right. The um, The amount of weight that you took off of my shoulders when you didn't even question it and you were just like. I get it. Totally okay. Is there any way that I can help? The, oh my gosh, Casey, <laughs> I'm being so serious though. Like it was, because I'm one of those, I'm a people pleaser. Yeah. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. Like,
1: Most performers are.
0: If I feel like somebody's not okay with me or not friends or I did something wrong, yeah. oof, eats me up, yeah, right? Same. I'm just like, man, oh, my reputation, right? The last thing I want is to tarnish it in any way. The only thing you did was took doors that I thought were closed And you literally kicked them the fuck down. (laughs) And you were like, no, 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 no. We're being transparent about this and it's okay." And I know that you had someone come on like really shortly after, which is awesome the way that it worked out. So it makes, you know, all to say that the fact that you are so willing to be so transparent and to not hide it away like you touched on earlier, you know, hide it from people's uh, views like, yeah, let's just brush it to the side. Maybe it's not that important right now. Very important, as you touched on, and it made me feel confident and comfortable Good. in the way that I felt. Good. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I need to not feel this way. It's like, suck it up, right? It's like, you're a performer, you know? It's like, you need to make everybody be happy. I don't know. Yeah. It's like so much yeah. stakes with it, yeah. right? And,
1: and I mean, you know, pretty much all performers are, are like that. Like, we hate it. We hate not doing things. We hate not performing. But... One of the things that I've definitely learned about the concept of resilience throughout the whole course is um, because, like, yes, I was researching mental health. But through the lens of, you know, just like with dancers' bodies of that, like, oh, well, you broke, you got injured, so that must mean you weren't meant for it. That still exists in terms of, oh, well, like, you just didn't make it to your 120th audition. You just must not love it enough. Like that, <laughs> that that, still exists and I remember getting ready to graduate and being like there has to be a way to prepare yourself for that. Like there has to be a way to train for the mental rigors of what performers have to go through. Mm. And, um, and that was really when I started researching it. So the idea of resilience, of being able to adapt and shift to a situation that occurs um, because the dance world is, is strenuous the performing arts are strenuous, um, Mm. and, you know, the, often the first, the first issue that I face as a person working in that area is actually to get people to the point where you were at, where you're like, I can't do this, because a lot of people don't want to admit to that to themselves, and it takes a lot of self-awareness and a lot of guts to even get to that point, um, but definitely one of the things I've learned about resilience is that it, it looks different for different people and it looks different at different points in time. Um, where like the most resilient thing, even though a lot of people think that's pushing through, overcoming, persevering, whatever, is for you to take a break, is to know your limits and go, I need a break. And then once you've given yourself time to rest, recuperate, then, okay, how do I get myself back? into this in a way that feels healthy in a ways that incorporates this intense situation that happened in my life into my artistic career mm. um, you know where I can actually use it as a positive now even though it felt so dark at the time mm-hmm. and will probably continue to feel dark for a while um, you know that all all of that is part of what it is to practice resilience because resilience isn't something that you attain and all of a sudden you are resilient and you can get through anything it's a skill that has to be cultivated just like anything else uh-huh. and, yeah sorry go ahead what were you no, going to say was i it. was going
2: to say it, it kind of sounds like just the ultimate acceptance of yourself too In yeah many ways.
1: yeah there's there's a lot of just like those alignment habits that you have in your body as dancers i compare it a lot to physical training for dancers because they relate to that part um there's a lot of alignment habits in how we hold ourselves in relation to ourselves or in relation to other people. Oh, other people's opinions are more important than my opinion, mm. or other people's opinions of me are more important than my opinion of me. Um, you know, of there's a lot of negative thought spirals and habits that we have that we don't even realize because they've been internalized since God knows when. Um yeah. you know, like mine was if I forget the choreography, then I'm the worst dancer in the room, and it and it made that spiral path before I felt like I could even really stop it, and then I started to realize that wait there's a little thought chain that happens that has become like so fast that I don't even process it anymore, mm-hmm. but maybe if, maybe I can start to undo those little steps along the way, and now my thought process even though I still have the if I forget what if I forget the choreography intrusive thought. My thought process goes a lot more like what if i forget the choreography just because i forgot this combination doesn't mean i'm gonna forget the next combination Mm. Mm. where that's become the association that i have with the first thought but it took a lot of time and effort and practice mental practice to get to that place but yeah Uh, that's
2: great i
0: I mean (laughs) definitely great and it's (laughs) and i feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that you're so passionate about your faith because I'm sure that it's gone hand in hand in helping you through some of these things. Correct me if you think I'm wrong. But...
1: Oh, no. No, it def- it definitely has. Okay, And good. the, you know, the um, all things work together for good is definitely something that's helped me get through times in my life that felt unpassable. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, let's but...
0: talk more about it. What is your faith? In...
1: Uh, I'm a Christian. Okay. Um, and I, I grew up Christian. My dad led a youth group. Um, at the first church I remember going to and then um, we ended up leaving that church over some differences of opinion about our faith and yep (laughs) and then you know went to um, a difference church I've grown up in a very musical family like worship music was always a big part of my growing up Um, and I'm sure definitely had an impact on dance somewhere in there because music Mm. Um, no, nah, completely separate. Sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, doesn't, that doesn't relate at all. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, the, you know, my mom has always talked about you know what part of what got her through her mental health struggles was her faith. I also have horrible social anxiety. That is another part of my own journey with mental health, along with the ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that that was it was those conversations always went hand in hand of like, this was the dark time in my life, but this was how I got through it. And so, you know, that was kind of part of how I always thought about it. Mm. Um, so,
3: Mm. yeah.
2: That's
1: awesome.
0: And would you say, just real quick, because (laughs) I love talking about faith and I haven't talked about it like at all for season four so far, but I just, I want to know what that relationship is like for you right now.
1: um, I mean, just like any relationship, I feel like it has, you know, ebbs and ebbs and flows and ups and downs. Of course. Um but yeah, I've recently I feel like I've actually been reflecting on uh points where I felt like my faith was stronger and been like, what was going on when I felt like my faith was stronger? Or can I get back to the closeness that I felt at that point and and trying to Yeah, trying to feel more connected because, I mean, we just came off the end of the semester. I've gotten super busy Um, and and making sure that, you know, I'm I'm not getting up in the morning before I actually sit down and read my Bible, even though it's like this much um, (laughs) that I'm reading Um, and just like any other relationship, you know, like my relationship with my fiance it's like yeah i'm gonna feel disconnected if i haven't had time to check in with him all day like of course mm-hmm. i'm gonna feel disconnected um mm-hmm. and just realizing that like yeah even even though it is a relationship with someone i believe is it is this um i just almost said the wrong word wait i lost the word mm, sovereign that's the word i was looking for sovereign god um that that he cares about the relationship Mm -hmm. and that that is in some ways a two-way street like even though he's sovereign he's not going to do all the work for me (laughs) (laughs) he gave you free will um (laughs) so the yeah just trying to cultivate the relationship and and make it stronger i think is where i'm at right now actually
0: Awesome. That's actually a really good answer. I appreciate you being honest with that. Cool. Seems like transparency is a key part of this conversation uh, so far.
1: Open For communication sure. is a huge thing in my family. It's, it's yeah. It's which is refreshing.
2: The world I feel like it's needs rare. More of that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're getting close to the end here. So we're going to ask our final question. Okay. Which is how has dance, I guess, and your involvement with, you know, dance science, how has that changed the world around you?
1: It's definitely changed how I view the world. Um, even even going back to that, like, what would you say to the average person walking around on the street? It was like, <laughs> where, like, you learn about some of these things and you're watching people walk and you're like, ooh, you're going to feel that in 20 years. Like, mm. <laughs> um, But other... Other than that, like, I don't – I'm sure you guys have heard about the, like, the sphere of influence versus the sphere of concern. I think it's something from, like, the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, Hmm. But focusing on my sphere of influence, like, these are the things I care about over here. These are the things I'm concerned about, world peace, whatever. And then these are the things that I actually have influence over. So – and um, my research mentor has a saying where it's like, do do one thing – better today than you did yesterday. Take one further step yesterday or today than you did yesterday. Mm. Um, and and trying to, you know, through my research with mental health, like that's what feels like is my contribution to the dance science mm-hmm. world is, okay, here's I'm, – I'm not a physicist. I'm not an anatomist. I'm not any of those things. Yeah. Um, but I'm a dancer who's experienced mental health struggles on my own. And so um, – you know, if I can help a couple of extra people with their relationship with themselves or their relationship with dance, then maybe they can help a couple extra people later down the road. And maybe they can help a couple of extra people. It's that same. It's, it's the butterfly effect or the trickle down effect mm-hmm. or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so focusing on the little things that I can do within my sphere of influence that actually later affect my sphere of concern. If mental health for dancers is my sphere of concern. How can I take a couple little steps here and there?
2: Mm. Yeah. And you already have. Thankfully. Yeah. You really have.
0: I mean, dang, man. (laughs) This conversation was so hopeful. It's crazy. It's like in the best way possible. (laughs) Because, I mean, it seems like with everything that you're passionate about, I know that it was dance-centric today. Yes. But so many things that I feel like the general population, the standard American, whatever, has no idea about and the fact that you've devoted yourself to research and improvement of mental health but also just like resilience yep. and the openness around those subjects i gotta say mwah, chef's kiss <laughs> seriously though but like and I, I hope it doesn't come off too like um i hope it doesn't come off disingenuous because i know we're recording all the fun stuff no. but i'm being so real when i say that it's because of people like you that our spheres of concern change and are resolved eventually, right? Because we take what we can actually influence, and we take that step, like your teacher was saying. Yeah. It's like we Ted and I want a more hopeful world. Boop.
3: Here we go. Podcast. <laughs> Here's some yeah. microphones. Yeah. <laughs> we took a yeah. step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Better yeah. sound, right? Yeah.
0: Um, but I, I just want you to know through everything, it's been very hopeful. I appreciate you and your open communication. And for those of you listening. That was Casey Copeland, and hopefully you
2: found some hope today. Thanks for listening to The Only Constant. We show how people use their passions to change the world around them every day. To learn more about our mission, visit OnlyConstantPodcast.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at onlyconstantpodcast to see even more and stay updated with the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or Spotify, leaving a review or rating for the podcast helps us learn what's working and what's not. We value your feedback. Hopefully, you found some hope today.